this story I love. I said that a moment ago. I remember it from childhood. I remember hearing it over and over and over again. And I've always known it as the story of the prodigal son. The focus always the younger of the two sons. The focus always the runaway. The focus the one who obviously broke from what was expected, from what we're looking for. We talked last week about the easy spiritual connection that happens in the younger son's story. The easy way it is to, to find a, a spiritual story in that. To find a story of, of restoration and hope, but also of, of brokenness and the need for confession. Very few people are surprised when we read this story and we talk about this younger son. This runaway, this uh, one who has abandoned the father. Very few people are surprised that in that we can find... A teaching, a sermon, a passage that carries weight and value. I think everyone, when they first read that story, recognized that the behavior of this younger son was in some way inappropriate. If not in a multitude of ways, inappropriate. Original hearers heard this story and they knew that the younger son had behaved inappropriately. No one was surprised by that. No one was shocked as we look at the cruelty in which he dealt with his father. The shame that was brought on that we don't fully grasp, but we know was surely there. The cruelty that he waged on his brother. The ways in which he was careless and selfish and motivated only by his own desires and his own wants. At the first hearing, we know that, we see that, we recognize that. However, something that I missed in the majority of times that I looked at and read this story is that perhaps the story of the prodigal is actually more focused on the elder son than it is the younger son. We read the same story this week that we did last week. By and large, we read the exact same passages. But I added to it intentionally the introductory verses that we find as to what was going on in in the beginning of chapter 15. And it's in those verses that we discover whom Jesus was telling these stories to. There were Pharisees that had surrounded him. They were listening, they were watching, and they were critical of the company that Jesus kept. They were critical of some of the people who gathered around Jesus. These people who they believed were messy and ugly, sinful. These people who didn't look like the Pharisees. They didn't keep faith like them. They didn't know God like them. They weren't holy like them. These people who looked like younger sons in the story, who were coming because they were interested in the things of Jesus... These people who had run from God, these people who had chosen not to obey, and now all of the sudden they seem to be interested in the teachings of this religious man, this Jesus. The Pharisees all the while looking and criticizing, critical of Jesus, but also critical of them. What right did they have to come and hear these things? What right did they have to be around this? What right did they have to now be concerned about religious things? Does it sound familiar? A little bit like the story that we read? Jesus was telling this story and a large piece of his audience were elder sons. They were Pharisees. 
And in these stories, Jesus hoped that they would discover something about their own faith, something about their own thoughts of God, something that they had missed that they needed to understand. And I think that many of us also need to recognize the elder son tendencies that crop up in our own faith, in our own life, in our own soul. This morning as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, there's, there's two groups of people that perhaps it's more common in than other. Those of us that have spent our life growing up in the church and those of us that have come to faith late in life. There seems to be this rebound towards kind of a, a, a moralistic rule following faith and religion. And perhaps we need to recognize this morning that we, even though we've never run away, have become lost right here at home. Tim Keller, in his book, Prodigal God, he says it this way. He says, everybody knows that the Christian gospel calls us away from the licentiousness or promiscuous living or, 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 or rampant sinful living of younger brotherness. But few realize that it also condemns moralistic elder brotherness. In order for you and I to grasp the full weight of this story, I think that each of us have to look at the story, read the story, recognize a place that it comes to light for us, and recognize in the midst of it our own lostness. Whether we've ever run from home or not is irrelevant. Where in our faith are we too lost? Where have we also missed the point? And in the midst of our searching, in the midst of our questioning, I think we find that we need to answer one of the deep and important questions of our faith. Is our commitment to Jesus and his love or to some other aspect of religious life? The younger brother Wanted his father's blessing, but he didn't want his father. When he returned home, we talked about last week, he returned to, to safety and security, to what was known. But he really wasn't returning to the love of his father. He wasn't returning to be a son. He was returning with the hopes that he could be hired on as a servant. Because a servant was dad with dad was far better than the servant where he was. So he came home to what he knew. He came home to safety. This older son looks very different than his younger brother. He never left home. He always did what was expected with him. He worked on the farm. He 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 followed all of the rules. He was committed to the expectations of his society, of his father, of his own self-discipline. And yet we find out in his words that he probably never understood himself as a son or a partner with the father. Verse 29 is eye-opening in this younger son's story. Verse 29, it says this. It says, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. (laughs) I read that verse. I read that verse over and over this week. and, And every time it's like, wait, hold on, stop. I've slaved for you. These aren't the words of a beloved son. These aren't the words of someone who sees themselves as a partner. These aren't the words of of the sole heir to this estate that this father has to leave behind. These are the words of a servant. These are the words of a slave. These are the words of a bitter employee 
who for some reason has come to the place of believing that his worth is always tied to and based on his accomplishments, his successes, his obedience. And I think that there are some of us that know that way of life all too well. I think that there are some of us that know way of faith incredibly well. We know a lot about the do's and the don'ts of salvation. But very little about the love of the Father. We are deeply committed to following the rules. But we've never learned to be loved by Jesus. Some of you are wired like elder sons. Me too. And in just the looking at those words, you're going, but, 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 but that's not enough. There's something else. There's more. It's not just about being loved by Jesus. There's, there's more. No, there's really not. And I think it's true that this morning that some of us need to confess much like the elder son did. Well, much like the elder son needed to confess. He didn't confess. We never see that part. Much like he needed to do. Much like the Pharisees need to do. We need to confess that we have used obedience as a way to avoid the deep love of God. We've used holy living as a way to actually run from Jesus. We've used holy living as a way to maintain control and avoid full trust and faith in the Father. As Tim Keller talks about elder sons, says that, that this idea of elder sons, those of us who are elder sons and daughters, that we, we obey God to get Things. We believe that our obedience will bring rewards, it will bring favor, it will bring prestige. He says that, that, that older sons and daughters work out of fear. Fear of what might happen if we don't do what's expected of us, if we don't follow the rules. He says this, and, and if they get the screens up, I wish you could see this quote, because you'll miss some of it with me reading it. But Keller says this, if like the elder brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you've worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, get this, then Jesus may be your helper, your example, even your inspiration. But he is not your savior. You are serving as your own savior. Man, I don't like that one at all. Not a bit. He goes on and he says this. It's a shocking message. Careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. 
Now, many of us who are there, many of us who find ourselves in this place of of following the rules, of being obedient, of walking in line with God, because we've done this for, for years or decades, or maybe we're newly to it, and the rules seem easy, the rules seem manageable, the rules seem like something we can check off on a list. Many of us don't recognize that in our landing here and our finding ourselves at this place... That we've somehow gone astray, that we've somehow chosen sin over God. We would deny that we've ever run from God. We would deny that our righteous living is what we've chosen over faithful living. We would deny that our desires to honor God by obeying have done anything less than that. And yet there are some signs that crop up under the surface, some signs that that we can begin to see that reveal to us that what we're doing is this elder son-ness, this elder brother-ness way of living. These signs crop up in the midst of our obedience, in the midst of our following the rules, in our midst of being in in all the expectations. Let Let me mention a couple. One of them is how do we respond when life doesn't go the way that we want it to? We get no teaching in Scripture that life is supposed to be easy for those who follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, as we look at our faith heroes, as we look at those people throughout the Scriptures, begin in the very beginning and go all the way through the end, we never see an easy life for the faithful. I can't think of one example. If there is one, somebody shout out. But I can't think of a single one where we see that life with God is easier. And yet when we're wired as elder sons and things happen that we don't expect or things happen that are difficult or things happen that are painful, our response is not just sorrow, but it's often a deep anger and bitterness towards God. Elder sons and daughters, when bad things happen in our lives, we for some reason believe that we're being punished by God, that this is somehow unfair or inappropriate, that this is undeserved. We believe that our righteous living should bring us more favor. That because we've been faithful, we should only get the blessings and none of the difficulties, none of the pains, that if God truly loved us, Maybe you've never said it, but have you ever thought it? If God truly loved me, then God would make sure that things go the way that I think they should go. Want them to go. Deserve for them to go. Before we entered this story, we were looking at the story of Jonah. And if you remember, Jonah felt this way. Jonah was a child of God. Jonah was a, was a prophet. Jonah believed that he deserved more of God's favor than other people did. Jonah believed that he definitely deserved more blessing than the people of Nineveh. This elder son in the story felt the same way. It wasn't fair that his father was throwing a party for the runaway son. It wasn't fair that the celebration wasn't for him. He followed all the rules. Why were we celebrating the runaway? Why were we celebrating the rule breaker? This party's supposed to be for me, dad, not for him. <clears throat> I think that we have to evaluate our own response to the pains that come in life and discover whether it's sorrow. Sorrow is incredibly normal. When things come up that we don't expect, that we don't look for, that we don't want, sorrow is incredibly normal. And psychologists would tell you that somewhere in sorrow is sometimes anger. 
The difference is when that anger is what we settle in. When that bitterness towards God is what we choose and where we remain and where we choose to exist. And somewhere in that we recognize that in our difficulty we can't find faith anymore because we don't trust God anymore. We evaluate to see, can we find faith in the midst of our difficulties and our joys? Is our love truly for Jesus? Or is it only for the good things that Jesus can and does do for us along the way? Another sign, just briefly to mention, of of misaligned faith is the way in which we respond to abundant grace. This younger son's coming home, no doubt about it, cost the older son. It it literally cost him something that his brother came home. This calf that they were killing, this fattened calf, which which was a prized possession, literally belonged to the older son. The younger son had taken his inheritance. He'd he'd gone away. He'd blown it all. Everything that was left, and the father says that, everything that was left now belonged to this elder son. Now, he probably hadn't taken possession of it. He probably didn't have it or have control over it yet. His father was still doing that. But everything that was there would now become his. So anything that was spent beforehand was part of his inheritance that he wouldn't get. The land, his. The house, his. The calf, his. Everything was his. Some even wonder and argue, and I can't find this consistently, so so don't hear me as saying this is for sure without a doubt. But some wonder if now that this younger son has come home, if he is now once again offered a third of the remaining inheritance that he didn't squander. Now again, historians aren't all on the same page, so we don't know, but we know it's possible. And whichever one it was, whether it was just a calf that was given, or it was that he was going to get part of the inheritance, as far as this older son was concerned, both were unacceptable. Now, now I have to be honest, as I start into this, I do feel a little sorry for, for older brother. I mean, this is costing him something. It is costing him something, and and I have a little sorrow for him with regards to that. The problem comes when he turns to the place that he's not just disappointed that there is loss, that there is sacrifice, but he's unwilling to sacrifice. He's unwilling to give anything that will welcome this younger son back in. He's unwilling to give him room. He's unwilling to welcome him back in. If you notice as you read the story, he's unwilling to call him a brother. He might be his father's son now, but he is no longer a brother as far as this guy's concerned. He talks about your son, but never my brother. The shame that he has brought on them is too great, too big. And we recognize this sign of elder brotherness in us, not just when we look at things like an inheritance as limited because it was, but when we also look at grace as a limited commodity. When we think of grace, when we think of love as something that has limitations, 
We come to the place that we begin to evaluate ourselves in comparison to others all the time. We evaluate our portion. Are we getting as much or more than they get? We evaluate our portion versus their portion. We evaluate what we deserve of love or grace versus what they deserve. We evaluate our behavior and we compare how we've behaved in comparison to how they've behaved. And think that it should somehow influence the amount of grace or love or favor or blessing that comes upon us. This elder son believed he deserved more love, more favor. He deserved the calf. He deserved the party. Not his little brother. And when you and I as elder... Sons and daughters get to that place. We've come to the place that we have made faith a competition. No longer is our pursuit at that point in faith about about following Christ, about holy living, about righteousness. Our focus has turned to winning. We want to win at being more faithful than others. We want to win at loving God more faithfully. We want to win at obedience. And friends, that is Anything but trusting Jesus as our Savior. As we read this story, notice that the father never, ever compared the two boys. He never compared them to one another. He never evaluated them based on the other. The father simply loved them both. Because that's what the father does, is love. He loved them in their differences. He loved them as they needed to be loved. We find that the love of the father for these sons was equal, but it wasn't the same. Because the elder son needed to be loved in ways differently than his younger brother did. This younger brother needed to be welcomed back home after he had run away. The older brother needed to be reminded that he was treasured. That he was loved. That he was blessed. That he was wanted. In Henry Nouwen's book, we looked at it some last week. He talks about the idea that there are two ways for us to overcome elder sonness. And yes, that's a made up word. But elder sonness that begins to arise in us. Nouwen says it this way. He says, we can allow ourselves to be found by God and healed by his love through the concrete and daily practice of trust And gratitude. Trusting that the Father wants us home. Trusting that we're loved. Even when we're afraid that we're not loved as much as someone else. That we're not loved as much as the runaway. That we're not loved as much as the exile. That we're not loved as as much as the one who has come home and found this miraculous transformation. That in some way we're loved less because we never left. We never abandoned. We never went away. We overcome this elder son or daughter way of faith, way of living when we trust the Father. And when we practice gratitude. When we find thankfulness in good things and bad things. When we find gratefulness in all things. Now and says this. The discipline of gratitude is the explicit effort to acknowledge that all I am and have is given to me as a gift of love. A gift to be celebrated with joy. 
elder sons and daughters that sit among us. You don't have to raise your hand. I'll do it for you. Elder sons and daughters that sit among us, we need to find healing. And the truth is that that healing can only come from God. But if we're willing to take on these practices, these practices of trust and gratitude, then we become partners with God as as we walk back, as God restores and reforms us to a place that our faith is not about the rules, but that our faith is about Jesus. Friends, elder brothers, elder daughter, elder sisters, elder sons and daughters, we need to find healing for the sake of our own soul. But we also need to find healing for the sake of our church and for the sake of our world. Because the reality is that when you and I live faith this way, we are often the instigator that runs off younger brothers and sisters, younger sons and daughters. Because they look at our way of living faith and they feel that they need to measure up in some way to our perfection and they can never get there. So they run away. They believe that there's an expectation that they accomplish our righteousness. And when they can't find the ability, they just decide that maybe it's not worth it. Like it or not, holy living is not a prerequisite to belonging among the family of God. Holy living is not a prerequisite to faith in Jesus. Holy living is not a prerequisite to salvation. Holy living comes after we have been overwhelmed and transformed by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Holy living comes out of an experience of being deeply loved by Jesus. And this is the true pursuit of our faith. This is truly what we're longing for and desiring in our life. This is truly the desire that the Father has for us. God wants to welcome us home to the love of Jesus. Run away, younger sons. Jesus wants you to return home. Moralistic elder sons and daughters. Jesus wants you to find home right here in the love of the Father. Friends, come home to the love of the Father. Come home to be loved by Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I ask that this morning we could find glimpses and glimmers of your love that we have forgotten, that we've overlooked, that we have evaded or avoided, that we have run from. God, I pray that you would help us find Those ways in which we have chosen following the rules over being deeply loved by the Savior. 
Help us find those ways in which we have bought into legalism. Because it makes sense. Because it's easy. Because it's measurable. Rather than the odd and vague and hard to describe place. Of simply and beautifully being loved by the Savior. Hmm. Jesus, show us your love today. Jesus, love us boldly today. Holy Spirit, move into our hearts and transform our soul. Heal our lostness. Amen.